And we're going to turn to the book of Psalms 119. And Psalm 119, we're looking now at the 12th octave of verses. Uh, and we see uh, that's called lamed, and mine are lamed, actually, that's the way it's spelled um, in my but in my uh, edition, and uh, like I said, even King James, uh, they spell it different ways by different publishers. But that is the uh, what we roughly our L in the um, uh, English alphabet. But every uh, uh, verse in this octave, all eight verses, will begin with this letter. And of course, last week we saw that um, really the low point of the psalm. And that was, you know, he said, I almost fail. I, uh, they, and of course, he cried out, help me, Lord. And we see that uh, then he kind of was struggling back. Uh, and he, his prayer was, revive me according to your love and kindness. Get me going again, Lord. And so there's a pause here. And now we hit one of the great verses and the, one of the great passages uh, in the Bible, let alone the book of Psalms. As he regathers himself and gets moving in serving the Lord. But um, in the, in the um, introduction I gave you, uh, after admitting that his enemies almost, that was the key word, one of the key words in the, the, the former octave, but um, they almost made an end of him in the last octave, um, which is 81 through 88. The psalmist rebounds uh, with one of the great statements of faith in the Bible. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And we're going to concentrate on that tonight. After tossing about, and I like what Spurgeon said here, after tossing about on the sea of trouble, the psalmist here leaps to the shore and stands upon a rock. Jehovah's word is not fickle nor uncertain. It is settled, determined, fixed, sure, unmovable. Like I said, that's a quote from Spurgeon. The psalmist is regaining his bearings after a period of doubt. He is saved both temporally and eternally by the word of God. And that's one thing we've got to realize is not that we will be saved, but that we are saved. The God who saves us eternally can, is continuing to save us and make us whole um, throughout, the, throughout our lives. And one thing we must, as we have seen several times in the book of Isaiah, as we've been going through that on Sunday, as well as here, is the created. We have been created. We have been made by God. And so he controls. He controls the time we were born, where we were born, the parents we were born, the genes that we have, the DNA, muscles, the talents, everything uh, began when uh, when the Bible tells us in secret, of course, that 139, Psalm 139 says that uh, when God did all that in secret in the mother's womb. And so God formed us and fashioned us. But then also uh, in his providence, he also guides us. And this is the one thing that uh, we see through the Bible. And one of the blessings I had, I was able to look at one of my old college professors. They had him at some conference and he was talking on the providence of God. He was talking about how that God, uh, it's one of those amazing things, how that God gives us a 
a desire, and yet he gives us options in our lives, and yet he controls our destiny. How does, when does one end and the other begin? When does the foreknowledge of God uh, allow for the free will of man? And uh, yet at the same time, we know that God, there's no mistakes in God's life or God's, um, God's, our lives with God. We also see that, um, that uh, in controlling our destiny, that no good thing, uh, that God tells us that good, no good thing will he withhold from them who walk uprightly. So God wants to give us good things. But uh, the professor, Dr. Ed Pinozian, he was a tremendous uh, historian, but um, he goes back. Now, his family came over here. He was Armenian, and his parents escaped that great Turkish um, uh, genocide that happened in Armenia uh, right around World War I. And they were just wiping out all, all the Armenians. And uh, he was able to come over. And of course, he's, uh, he was 90 at the time that I heard that old uh, uh, lecture that he was giving. And uh, now he's passed on to be with the Lord. Yes. They're doing it again. Yes. Yeah. Armenia, as you said, is going through that same situation today. Especially, uh, and Armenia had a lot of, of Christians, non-Catholic Christians there. And as a result, um, they, like uh, Nigeria, Central African Republic, the Muslims as they're moving in are actually killing and destroying, killing people and destroying churches. Uh, there were over 100 people in Nigeria this past month that were killed simply because they named the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we must, uh, we see that nothing new is under the sun. And uh, yet here we see that um, uh, we think we have problems. In fact, uh, what, what I try to do is whenever I'm really down, uh, I like to think there's someone out there that's probably going through worse things than I am. That doesn't, that's no consolation for my, it doesn't make me feel any better, but it helps me to keep, keeps me from feeling sorry for myself. And so, uh, and there again, that thing I quote so often, I grumbled because I had no shoes until I met a man who had no feet. And so, because there's always somebody a little bit worse. But here we see that, uh, that this man is just normal like we are, and he's going through the same ups and downs spiritually. And he, uh, as we have seen, and it's very obvious in the first half of these uh, 22 verses, and we see now this we're on the 12th octave, so now we're beginning the second. Uh, group of, or the, the second half of this psalm. But we see that uh, he wavered. In his thoughts, he wavered, but he kept, kept, kept coming back to the Lord. And the one thing I've learned about this psalm is that uh, it's a spiritual battle. And so when you are praying and seeking the Lord, you're going to have all kinds of thoughts, negative and positive. And so it's one of those things where I wish I could be, and I'm, and I'm sure that Paul wasn't either because later he said many times that he was distressed, but not discouraged. But, but there again, he had, to, he had to work on it. And so we see here that uh, each one of us are going to have times in our lives where, yeah, how can it get any worse? And, and uh, 
you know, why am I going through this? And we start doubting some of the things, but let's catch ourselves. And there's one thing I like about this Psalm, he called himself before he got too low. And that's basically what we do when we go to prayer, when we're especially in trouble, where there's the fear of the unknown, when you don't know what's gonna to happen to you when you go to work the next day, or what's gonna to happen to you when you meet your loved ones or your family, and uh, that black sheep in the family is about ready to cut your throat and you don't even know it, or you realize that something's going on, but you can't put your finger on it. Or the economy is about ready to fall, to tank or whatever. Uh, and we've got all kinds of doubts and fears through many dangers, toils, and fears. I have already come. Twas grace that led me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. Um, well, it is, but at the same time, the, the older I get, the more I realize that you never get there. I mean, there's always something in your life. Oh my, once I get the, to the golden years, man, I'll have it all learned and I'll, you know, I'll just hurt, learn how to get a hold of the Lord. No, we all have our problems. Now, whether, whether we're 15 or 50, uh, there's always that reason to, well, it's a battle. It's, it's a, there's that reason to want to give up at times or, the, or at least that reason to, to almost question God. We know that Job did. We know that this psalmist did. Not that they did, but they realized in the back of their mind, why am I even feeling like I want to question God? You ever get to where it's like you feel guilty for feeling guilty? You know, it's, it's, uh, we get to, to that point in our lives. So as we begin this, um, this section, verse 89, we'll begin reading. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and, it's and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances, for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So notice now that he's still going back to the old thing, unless you had been my delight, I would have perished. Now notice he's, this is a kind of a, backward look, but uh, earlier in verse 8, in the last section, in verse 86, he says, help me, you know, and then he recovers himself and he says, I almost fell, but I'm going to trust in, in you. But then he must have had a pause here. And like we said, every letter, I'm sure that he would stop and uh, and think about, it. of course, under the inspiration of God, he would uh, form his next octave with uh, all the words beginning with that next Hebrew letter. But uh, we see that uh, now he's gotten to the point where he's looking past tense, okay? Unless, I mean, unless the Lord had, unless your law had been my delight. And so, okay, I'm help me, Lord. But wait a minute, Lord, you've helped me before and your law has been my delight. So we begin, first of all, though, in verse 89, 
and through um, 91, we have a statement of faith. Just notice the things that he says here. He says, forever, ever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Now, that's beyond man's reach. That is the idea that it's beyond uh, Harvard or Yale or any other liberal theological school or any liberal church. Uh, it doesn't matter what we do or what others do. We can't, when I say, if we vote on righteousness, God doesn't change. Now, we can wreck a lot of people by voting the wrong way or doing the wrong thing, but God's not going to change. He's not going to say, you know, there's a lot of churches down there in uh, the United States, and they've decided to change some of my laws. And, you know, they're so bright, I'm going to, you know, I really think that they're right. You think God's going to do that? Absolutely not. God is the God of heaven, and if he needed anything, he wouldn't tell us, and he definitely doesn't need our advice. And so we see that the word of God is settled in heaven, and man is not going to change God's mind, no matter how many denominations, how many colleges, how many churches decide that they're going to vote on doing what they think is enlightening, because God is light, and there is no other light. Besides God, man's light is not enlightening. We get our light from God. And so we see that forever your word is settled in heaven. And also it's beyond the attacks of Satan. And Satan's been attacking God's word from the very beginning, hasn't he? Hath God said, hey Eve, you know, did God really say, do you think he really meant that? Oh, he said that because he's trying to hold you back from liberty and freedom and all this stuff that people talk about today, which is basically enslavement. And so uh, God wasn't deterred by Satan and by, by the uh, unanimous vote of the population of the world back in the Garden of Eden. And he's definitely not going to be swayed by a few billion people more. Because God is God. And it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. So the one thing that uh, we see here is, Lord, it's settled. And if it's settled in heaven, then Lord, I want it to be settled in my heart. Now, I've been wavering all over the place and I've had to yell help, but now Lord, it's settled. In my, so notice he's going back and he's clinging to the Lord. He's saying, and he's, it's the say it faith. This is what I believe, this is what I say. And by the grace of God, this is what I'm gonna do. And so sometimes it's just a mental, spiritual willpower to do the right things. As we said Sunday morning, one of the things that uh, struck me Sunday morning is where we were put, talking about that put off and put on. And I ran across the statement that, that love is always, um, takes the initiative. It always takes the initiative. I started thinking about this week. I said, you know, if I really love people, I'm going to take the initiative and not just wait for them to love me. Uh, I, you know, write a card, uh, talk to somebody on the phone, Encourage somebody along the way. Be nice to the teller or to the waitress or to the, the, the person that passes by on the street. But uh, love takes the initiative. And so I write my brother, send him a birthday card, you know, or whatever. And, and us boys, we don't do that very much. But wait a minute, I'm going to try my best to let people know that I care and that I love them. Without saying, oh, I love you. No, none of that stuff. People, people get tired of that. They want to see it. 
And they would rather see it many times than for you to say it. And so, you know, that, uh, what's that old musical song? Show me, you know, <laughs> show me. And so if you really care about me, show me. And so as a Christian, if we say that we have the love of God in our hearts, should we not show people? So I want to put it on. That's the idea of, of uh, taking the initiative. Put off the old man. That means putting it off. But how do I put it off? The best way to put off the old man and all the, the corruption that is there is to put on the new man by crowding out the old man. And so that I'm not thinking about having to be angry. Well, I'm not going to be angry anymore. And I'm not going to hate that person that I've been hating for the last 20 years. I'm just not going to hate him. No, that's not the way to, to hate. But know that we have to replace it with some type of love. And many times the people that you hate that much, they've done something for you in the past that you loved them for. The the more that you've hated somebody, that's the reason that uh, family problems are so deep. Because when you love people, then you can have a capacity to hate them too. You know, so Lord, help me to love people and help me to remember the good things about that jerk. I mean, that person that, you know, that was in my life. Can I do that? And, you know, they're, they're again, aggressively thinking and praying and taking the initiative to care for people. Let's do good to them that despitefully use you. Oh boy, that's a hard one. But then again, taking the initiative. And so here we see that he's taking the initiative. Lord, I am going to trust you and it's settled. And I'm going to actively love you. Basically what he's, he's doing here. And so he says, it's settled, and I'm, you know, my mind's made up. Um, and notice the next section, verse 90, he says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. Was God kind to Adam and Eve? He showed them grace, didn't he? Has he shown, does, well, is he willing to show grace to anybody and everybody? The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. It's God's blessings upon even unsaved people. And of course, the, the invitation is to all, let whosoever will may come unto me. And, so, and to all generations, I like this, the idea is, how does a person 200 years ago, how did they get saved? Well, they got saved the same way we get saved today, right? Is God the same God that dealt with, and you name your hero? Um, is he the same God that deals with us today? Thou God seest me. That's the other part of that, uh, that lecture that I heard. You know, on all these different things, uh, God is, is working in our lives, but at the same time, he personally sees us. He cares. You know, it's not, uh, he's not making a, uh, making a list and checking it twice. no. He cares. He's, he knows. He sees everything about us. And incredibly, he sees everything about us and still loves us. <laughs> uh, again, we see that uh, his faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. And so we see that, uh, that this writer is realizing, you know, th- you, were, you were faithful to King David, but that was my great-granddaddy or whatever, or or at least, uh, you know, two or three generations ago. Uh, you were kind to my great-grandmother, but you're kind to me too. You're the same God that my mother prayed to. Can we say that? 
And so to his faithfulness to the all generation. And then notice now he talks about creation here. You're, you established the earth and it abides. There again, he, you established it and it still is spinning. The universe that you made with your fingers of all things, in other words, he's saying that's just nothing compared to what I could do with my hands, but, uh, but it still abides. It's still ticking. It's still, uh, the planets are not running into each other. It is still going. The earth is spinning, grass is growing. The sea waves change and the tides come and go, but it all still abides under his grace, does it not? Your heart is still ticking, why? By the grace of God. You're still not being able to breathe. Every breath you take is gauged by our omnipotent, omniscient Father. And he shows you, and your health, he shows you his love even by what he gives us. So, so many times we forget that. But he established the heavens and it abides. They continue to this day according to your ordinances. In other words, you set the law of the universe. And the reason everything is still spinning and going and growing the way it is is because you set, down, you set down some basic laws of the universe. We have them here on earth. We call it the law of gravity. What, must, what goes up must come down. Uh, and if you try to defy the law of gravity, you better learn how to counteract it like uh, a bird does. And of course, that's, so many people studied birds to figure out how to fly. And so we had to learn so many different things about the law of gravity that God set forth. And to this day, they can't explain what gravity is because by the laws of thermodynamics, by us spinning around so many hundreds of miles an hour on this earth, we should be flung off. But what keeps us together? It's something that defies our understanding. And yet it was God's law. He did it. And so we see that it, he holds it together. And notice they're all your servants. And so we see that God says he's established everything. Um, all generations. Uh, I, I put a few phrases in here uh, so that it makes you think of a song. But one of the songs that uh, Martin Luther wrote was from age to age the same. Now what, what song is that? No, a mighty fortress is our God. Lord Sabaoth is his name from age to age. There, uh, he is the same uh, on earth, there is no equal. And so again, you know, uh, and Martin Luther was writing 500 years ago. And yet he's saying from age to age, you're the same God that, uh, and Martin Luther realized that uh, you're the same God that, uh, that Abraham served. You're the same God, the just shall live by faith. And he, he had studied that and he saw Abraham's faith. And, and the just shall live by faith. He, once he started seeing that, he circled it in the book of Romans. The just shall live by faith. And so he went, you're the same God that Abraham served. From age to age, the same. And so we see that uh, on earth, he says, he established and it abides according to his will. All creation obeys the laws of God. Now, in saying that, then notice that he turns to the personal testimony. And this, so he goes from a statement of faith to what he has learned and what God has done in his life. He says, unless you had been my delight, 
unless I had really poured my life and my, my delight into you, delight yourself in the, the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You changed my desires because I delighted in you. And as a result, uh, I would have perished in my affliction. If you really had not been my delight back in the former octave, I almost perished. I help. But now he's saying, Lord, you helped me. Oh God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide while life shall last in our eternal home. And so again, you know, the more I get into the psalm, and I've done it already with two or three psalms, with songs, but uh, the more that you see that the good songs that we try to sing and, and get into people's minds, you start reading the Bible and you start putting those songs into the verses because good hymnody, good hymn, should remind you of good, of, of scripture, of good scripture, all scripture is good, but uh, it should remind us of scripture and scripture should remind us of the songs that we sing, singing and making melody in our hearts to the Lord when psalms and hymns and spiritual songs because they all turn together. Uh, Lord, unless you'd been my help, then I would have, I would, you know, I would have perished in my affliction. I was down, Lord. I was worried. I was hurting, hurting. And yet you saw my need. And notice now, notice how he uh, rebounds. He says, I will never forget your precepts. I'm back into the, the determination vote. I am going to, I'm determined. I'm right back into this. I'm fighting to the end. I'm going to, I'll never forget your precepts. I'm back into digging. I'm back into finding out what your will is for my life. I'm back into obeying you and wanting to find out the good things that you promised for them to walk up rightly. I'm back to the aggression rather than the pity party. And so he says, for by them you have given me life. And so you have restored my life and you have really got me going. So I survived my afflictions. And yet, of course, we see that uh, that's what Paul said. Yet in all these things, and he was talking about afflictions there in chapter 8 of, uh, of Romans. He says, yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God gave us life. There's such a thing as they call pirate victory. I don't know all the circumstances around the god Pyrrhus or whatever, but the idea was that they fought to the point where... Um, that they had nothing left. And so you could win a victory, but you can lose the war because you expend all your forces. And so what good is if Rob and I could fight each other right up there and I sock him and he socks me, but uh, we fight to the death and I've lost all my teeth and everything else, but I whip him finally. And yet I die the next day. It was not a great victory. No, it was a horrible victory, you know? But he would like it the other way around. Okay, so Rob wins, you know? So, <laughs> so Rob wins, and then he dies the next day, you know? Well, that, whichever, yeah, we used to have a saying, you know, that guy's so tough that even if you fought him and won, you'd, it wouldn't be worth it because you'd be beat up so bad. Well, you know, that's a pirate victory. That's a, you know, nothing left. Uh, with, uh, World War I was like that with the European nations, especially England. And that's why they hated to see the rise of Hitler. Oh, they were just begging, oh, they would do anything to not to have another war because they were, they were exhausted. 
and yet uh, we see that uh, that they had one. But so I don't want a pirate victory. I want to be more than a conqueror. I mean, whoop them. Who's next? You know. Uh, I don't want to fight you. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll quit using personal illustrations. But uh, but you know, like those old cowboy movies, you know, where the guy, the big guy, whips the first guy and says, "Okay, next," you know, or whatever. No, uh, that only happens in the movies. But at the same time, uh, we want to have something left at the end. And he said, "You give not only have you given me victory, but you've given me life. You've given me a whole new way of living." And serving you. And so, uh, Lord, I depend on your salvation. I love that verse 94. I am yours. Okay, Lord, I'm yours. Save me. I throw everything in your hands. Uh, I still have the same battles, but you're the one who's going to save me. For I've sought your precepts. Lord, I'm just going to go your way, and I'm leaving it up to you to save me. I like what David Goodzak says here. Stick, uh, are you a stick in the mud? Uh, or you're standing on the rock? Are you, is there, are you sticking in the mud or standing on a rock? And basically, uh, I want to stand on the rock, don't you? He hath brought me up out of a horrible pit, but that old muddy pit, and, and to set my feet upon a rock and establish my goings, Psalm 40. Well, Lord, uh, I want to stand on the rock for you. And so we see that he says, I, will, I depend on you, Lord. Uh, you're my salvation. Save me. Uh, and then notice uh, he says uh, uh, the wicked are still there. Nothing has really changed outwardly, just things have changed inwardly. And someone has said that prayer many times will change you more than it will change the situation. And think about that. Yes, we want to see God answer prayer in changing things, but many times God has to change us first. Uh, Ian Bounds said, before you can talk to men about God, you first, first, must first learn to talk to God about men. And so again, we see that uh, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an internal battle. It's a spiritual battle. But that it, isn't it what life is all about? Is how am I going to think? Uh, that, I don't want, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of old strongholds in my life. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, there's the idea of, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to find out what he says. I want to think the way he thinks. I want the mind of God. I want the mind of men, my life, to be the mind of God. And so I want to think, I want to walk with him. So he says, yeah, the wicked are still there to destroy me. But I will consider your testimonies. They're still there. But I am going to just, Lord, you've promised me that you will take care of it. Okay, here I am, here I am Lord. Save me. Now, I've done everything that I could do. I have followed all every precept that I could think of or that you would, you've revealed to me about this situation. I've prayed about it. I've sought your will. I've sought the advice of spiritual others. I've done everything I can to solve this problem. But it's not solved. So I just have to leave it with you. I used to coach a basketball, a junior high boys uh, basketball team. And uh, I'd say, you know, if we get out there and practice 
and uh, do everything we can to prepare for the game. Then wherever that old ball is up there on the rim and the buzzer's sounding, if it falls out, then you can just rest. That's the will of God. If it falls in, praise the Lord. But if you've done everything that you can to be prepared for the situation, then everything, the results are left up to God. Now, if you haven't, then you could, you know, there's a lot of things that we can go back. Now, the one thing you don't want to do is if you've done the best you can, well, what, Rick, could I have done better? No, no, Lauer. You know, if I'd just done a little bit, no. You've, if you've done everything that you can and you lay it on the table, it's okay, Lord, here it is. Save me. Then even if it goes bad, then we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Some of my greatest victories have been my greatest losses. What I mean by that is God didn't give me what I wanted. <laughs> and I look back on a couple of things in my life, two major things I could just pop in my mind right now. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted it. Because if you had, I'd be in a whole different circumstance today, and that would have destroyed me. Or I would have caused, and this time in my life would have been a whole lot different than it would have been earlier, and it would have been di different to the negative. I think about uh, I got back uh, when I first got into uh, the ministry. I had a lady said, oh, you got two years to decide whether you want to have uh, um, um, to be in Social Security or not. I thought, I don't want to be in Social Security. I don't want to pay all those taxes because I'll never get it. That's what I, you know, all 20 years something to think of. And that was the option. And we'd been told about that. And the advice back then was don't get Social Security because it's not going to be around when you're old enough to get it. So a lot of preachers opted out. I, uh, I didn't know you had to sign a paper. The, the, the bookkeeper should have been told me, but uh, she just neglected or whatever. She never told me I had to sign this certain form. You know, everything in the government has to be signed. Well, I didn't know that. I just didn't. Okay, I just won't, I, I won't pay Social Security. Well, then I got audited. And they said, hey, listen, we don't have any paper here. And so I had to pay four or five years back taxes. And they really, and they wouldn't let me out of it. And oh man, this is so horrible and everything. Well, now I'm getting social security. And I have met preachers who are, are not on social security today and they are in, it's, it's binding. It hurts them. All I'm doing with mine now is sticking it into a, uh, an IRA to try to, in case the Lord does not come. Then I have a little bit, maybe to buy some bubble gum and bury myself or whatever. But you know, uh, but you know, I'm in a whole lot better shape today because God said no. But boy, I was so Lord, are you going to let this? And I was thinking about the bureaucracy and all, all these things. How do you fight the government and all this? Well, uh, now I look back on that and say, I'm glad you said no, Lord. And so, um, can you think of other things? The car you didn't buy, the person you didn't marry, whatever you know. All those different things, or, or uh, the person who said no, or whatever. Or I think about uh, um, in high school, um, the coach told me, "Well, if you just if you just weighed another twenty pounds, I could have gotten you a scholarship." I'm so glad I didn't weigh another twenty pounds, though. You know these things that God, He He controls our lives. Can we trust Him, even when everything about our in our heart says this is what I want? And God says no. I like what, uh, again, Corey Tinman, what an influence that lady's had on so many people's lives. But she said that 
I learned that whenever I really clutched things with my hand, God had a way of loosening my fingers one by one and giving it to him. And that's so true. Can I give God my future? And so, again, we see the wicked wait for me to destroy me. But Lord, if they do, it's in your will because I've done everything I can. And what's the worst they can do is kill me. But isn't that the best thing? Because then I'm going to be with you. And so whatever it takes, whatever you want, then Lord, here I am, save me. One way or the other, Lord, I know I'm saved. I don't know whether I'm going to be saved in this life as far as my old heart, but I know where my heart is going to be in heaven. And so it's up to you. Isn't that great to be able to leave things with God? I like what uh, Jim Elliott again, the great missionary that uh, died down in Ecuador back in the 50s. He is no fool to give that which he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So Lord, here I am, save me. And if you decide that you don't, I mean, I give it all to you. So if, <laughs> if I don't have it, then I know I'm going to have it when I get to heaven. So I, I like this where, he, Lord, you know, uh, your faithfulness to all generations. And I am determined I'm going to serve you. But Lord, here I am, save me. Isn't that interesting? At one point, it's this, it is, uh, boy, determination to go forward. At another point, it's surrender. It's a, a double-edged sword. So, Lord, here I am, but here I surrender. I'm ready to fight, Lord, but here I surrender. But th that's the whole dichotomy and the paradox of life. The victory through surrender. <laughs> so, here it is with the Lord. And then the last verse, and this is, a, um, he says, I have seen the consummation of all perfection. Now, what he had seen, have you ever looked at a beautiful sunset, sunrise? Have you wondered about the, the, uh, about the beauty of, of walking through um, Belvedere or East Rockford in the, in the summer or in the spring? The birds in the air, the heavens above, the beautiful things that God can do. I mean, God is so perfect, isn't he? Looking up at the stars at night, I've seen your great perfections. And yet, he says, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now, that, uh, until you realize that sometimes you have to get into the uh, Hebrew idioms to understand what that means. But uh, in Hebrew, basically, uh, the idiom or the way of saying things was that, uh, yes, I've, I know what I've seen with my eyes, and I've seen your great perfections. But when it comes to the Bible and your commandments, they are unlimited. I can't understand everything that you have out there. It's like looking up in the sky. I don't know where it all ends. So when I see your goodness, I can't tell where it all ends. And so he says, excuse me, your commandment that you want to lead me, you want to lead me in the ways that I should go. So it is unlimited and it is and, the, and even in the value of it. I mean, I have not seen or ear heard what the Lord has in store for those who love him. So Lord, I, it's too broad for me. It's too big for me. I don't understand it. But I just know that uh, if I follow you, there's going to be joy unspeakable and full of glory. And that's all that matters. And then, of course, I like that song that uh, Ralph Carmichael wrote. Um, 
He said, then, uh, then, uh, then we will conquer, never fear. So let the battle rage. He has promised to be near when? Until the end of the age. From age to age, the same. So he'll be with me until he comes again. Or I go to be with him. Can I trust him? Is it good enough? It is, isn't it? Yes, we're going to have that double-edged uh, situation in our lives where we have faith and yet we fear. But if there's no reason for fear, there's no reason for faith. There's no reason for an expression of faith if there's not a reason to fear. Okay, any comments or questions about tonight? 